0: A Mucky Business with Tim Farron. Hello and welcome. I'm Tim Farron and this is A Mucky Business. It's the show where we get to look at the week in politics through Christian eyes. Well, You might well think that politics is tainted by compromise and sin, and of course, you'd be right. But then again, so is everything else since the fall. And I think Christians should be praying for their brothers and sisters who are in politics in an informed way. Today, we're going to talk about how we as Christians should react to the COVID restrictions ending. When mask wearing and social distancing is just guidance, and not law. How should that change our approach to church? Well, joining us will be Cat Smith, the MP for Lancaster and Fleetwood, who is a Methodist. We'll be talking about whether the government has treated the church unfairly. But before we discuss all this, Cara Bentley has a roundup of some of the week's news.
1: Well, this week we found out that Boris Johnson thinks of himself as a very, very bad Christian. In a longer interview with Tom McTague from The Times, he said Christianity is a superb ethical system and I would count myself as a kind of very, very bad Christian. No disrespect to other religions, he said, but Christianity makes a lot of sense to me. It adds slightly more detail to his previous answer during the G7 summit where he said the fool says in his heart there is no God and left it like that. In other news, a Twitter post from an SNP MSP which said Jacob Rees-Mogg will undoubtedly rot in hell has been reported to the Standards Commission for Scotland. Mr Rees-Mogg had written on Twitter the bands of blighters bringing illegal entrance to Blighty will be broken up by this brilliant borders bill speaking about the nationality and borders bill. The reply from James Dornan, the MSP for Glasgow Cathcart, said Hope you remember this the next time you go to confession. You and your cronies are already responsible for the deaths of thousands and you're now happy to see the most desperate people in the world suffer and drown. If your God exists, you will undoubtedly rot in hell. The Scottish Conservative whip has called for an immediate apology and said his comments were poisonous and beyond the pale and England is a sleepy and inefficient mess this week after Italy beat them in the final of Euro 2020. If you want to relive the drama, go back and read the many tweets by the former Archbishop of York, John Sentamu, who shares his thoughts on every live moment with enthusiastic support and his own tips for the team. Justin Welby referred to him as the finest football pundit in the Church of England. Tim, how are you feeling this week?
0: Oh, Cara, my my heart is still heavy, indeed little broken after uh, what feels like yet another defeat on penalties in the Euro 2020 final on Sunday. Um, But I am also, like many people, massively, massively proud. I think England earned their place at the top table and performed with skill and with dignity. There is something about the way that Gareth Southgate and his players conduct themselves that make me pleased that my children look up to them. It wasn't always so for England teams, shall we say. Uh, Football ought to be a unifier, and it mostly is. This last four weeks, people of every political persuasion, race and background have flown the St George's flag. Obsesses like me have been joined by millions of the newly initiated who have now discovered the agony of yet another oh so near. We are an increasingly multi-ethnic society and recent research for the think tank British Future has found that the England team's appeal cuts across age, gender, politics and ethnic background with 66% of white and an almost identical 65% of ethnic minority respondents in England agreeing with the statement that the England football team belongs to people of every race and ethnic background in England today. Now, I promise you, that would not have been the case a generation ago. But there is still a vile undercurrent of racism that won't go away. Because football is the national sport, the national passion, it can flush out the best and the worst of us. It just so happens that the three players whose penalties weren't converted were black and the racist bile that has been poured upon them in the last couple of days has been astonishing and despicable. There was controversy around the decision of the England team to take the knee before each match. Now, for some, this was seen as a Marxist woke conspiracy. Indeed, several MPs said they couldn't support the England team because of this gesture. Gareth Southgate himself made clear that it was being done purely to show solidarity and to support uh, those fighting against racism in football. And the racism that followed the penalty shootout might underline the fact that it was not pointless virtue signalling. It was perhaps actually necessary. Like it or not, young people especially look up to footballers. That those players use their leadership position to show that racism is unacceptable is actually utterly commendable. And Christians should care deeply about this. The Bible is utterly scathing about racism. The parable of the Good Samaritan is in part about rebuking racist attitudes. And in James 3, we read with the tongue, we praise our Lord and Father. And with it, we curse human beings who have been made in God's likeness out of the same mouth come praise and cursing my brothers and sisters. This should not be. And of course, Paul goes on to say that for believers, racial and other distinctions are nothing compared to the fact that we are one in Christ Jesus. Rebecca McLaughlin, in her fantastic book, Confronting Christianity, says that the Christian movement was multicultural and multi-ethnic from the outset. She adds, Jesus scandalised his fellow Jews by tearing through racial and cultural boundaries. As an aside... It's the black players in the England team who are more likely to hold a Christian faith. Saka Rashford and Sterling have spoken openly about the importance of their faith. So being anti-racist must not be seen as some woke side issue for Christians. If we believe that we are all made in the image of God, we will be heartbroken when people treat any of those image bearers like dirt. The culture wars are so tedious and they can sometimes flush Christians into taking ludicrous positions. So We need to be on our guard, loving our neighbour and seeking to bear their burden. A mucky business with Tim Farron. This week, we're talking about how we as Christians should respond to the Covid restrictions gradually being taken away. What should we do about mask wearing, singing and socialising? Our guest this week is my friend Kat Smith, the Labour MP for Lancaster and Fleetwood since 2015 and Labour's shadow minister for democracy and young people. Kat started off studying religious studies at Lancaster University before switching to gender and sociology. She then worked for the Christian Socialist Movement and was a constituency researcher for Jeremy Corbyn, amongst others, before becoming an MP herself. Kat, it's an absolute pleasure to have you on the programme. Let's start off with a relatively easy one, we hope, which is when did you first consider yourself to be a Christian?
2: I think it was probably as a teenager and there was no sort of magic moment of of realising. It was more of a gradual experience of, um, I suppose, supportive through my church's youth fellowship. So so I was brought up attending Sunday school. So my mum's a Methodist. And so as a child, church was always a big part of our, our life. It was every Sunday morning. But then as a teenager, when I was involved in the youth fellowship in the Methodist church, I just found that being supported and being around other Christians, I realised that this this was who I was and this is what I believed and this is what was important in my life. And everything has, has sort of spanned from that in terms of my life decisions and direction I've, I've gone in. But I suppose it was probably as a teenager, I was confirmed into the Methodist church the weekend after my 18th birthday. Uh, so it was probably mm. around that time. But I, I certainly can't pinpoint a moment where it all became very clear in my head.
0: And I think that's, a, that's a absolutely fine answer. I think we, we're perhaps sometimes a little bit too keen to think of um, dramatic, dramatic conversion stories. But as Andrew Salu said when he was on the programme a few weeks ago, the Emmaus Road conversion is just as uh, exciting and just as interesting and just as much a miracle as uh, anything that is more Damascene in, it, in its nature. Kat, um, you were t- telling me the other day that you found yourself um, selling fair trade bananas in Barrow. <laughs> um, and that must have come out of your your faith and your concern for people who um, have a much sharper uh, experience of you know economic fairness than we do.
2: Yeah, I suppose that was one of the things about being a Methodist is that there's a National Methodist Youth Network. Um, it's very keen to get uh, young Methodists involved in social action. But as a teenager, we were involved in campaigning for fair trade status and fair trade products to be stocked in places. So I remember, like, campaigning uh, in my sixth form council elections to be a tuck shop officer so that I could stock fair trade um, products. And uh, unfortunately, my uh, fellow students did not think that was an attractive option, and they wanted cheap food. <laughs> um, but yes, yeah, so certainly sort of that kind of social action was born out of my youth fellowship group. So yeah, I um, remember. Um, a fellow member of my fellowship group dressing as banana in Barrow Town Centre and sort of handing out leaflets and campaigning around raising awareness about fair trade because at that point it was probably less well known than it is now. Mm. Um, but there was also this sort of drop the deck campaign, the Jubilee Deck campaign that, that sort of really opened my eyes to how global politics is a Christian issue. And that I had a calling to to get involved with that, to to campaign on that, to to change the world around me. Things things as they are are not right, and I felt called to to change that. Now, I wouldn't have said I was political as a teenager when I was doing all these things. If you say, "Are you political?" I go, oh, "No, no, no. I'm a Christian, and this is what what we do, and this is this is just just normal. Um, it is normal." Um, however, I certainly wasn't party political until much later.
0: And that's really fascinating because, you know, I remember you saying to me that I think you went to, well, you went to Lancaster University not long after this. Um, I say it's a stone's throw from Barrow, but you and I know the A590 is a long and windy <laughs> road, so it's not that close. Um, but you studied uh, religious studies and then, um, and, and then Gender and Sociology, you were the chair of the Feminist Society at Lancaster University. So, so despite that, despite running in the school council election, despite your commitment to, uh, to trade justice and fair trade, and you being practically involved in it, you were absolutely convinced you were not involved in politics. Um, absolutely. And then one night that changed.
2: Yeah, well, uh, It was really strange because obviously I was political and I thought an awful lot about politics and I was feminist and uh, a Christian and I was active in social justice but I still didn't think I was political because I thought political meant sort of party politics and, and I know now that obviously that's not the case. Uh, But yeah, one night uh, I was out socialising with a couple of friends who were members of the Labour Party. We'd had a few drinks and uh, they invited me to join the Labour Party. And it seemed like a really good idea. Now... As it happened, that was my that was my voting direction. But I certainly didn't think I was the kind of person who joined political parties. Uh, but sometimes you get asked, and you find yourself saying yes before you've fully considered it. So it wasn't a um, thought through. I'm going to join the Labour Party and get involved in campaigning in party politics. It was very much an accidental and circumstantial joining of a political party, which is probably a bit odd to hear from a member of the Labour Shadow Cabinet that they stumbled into this. But sometimes. Um, we find that uh, there aren't such things as coincidences and God puts things in, in our way to stumble over and uh, because that's actually part of the wider plan.
0: Absolutely. And it's it, one of the joys of doing this programme is you hear people's stories and some of them are very deliberate. I want to be an MP. This is the direction I'm going to go into more more often your journey is typical in the sense that people feel called into it and almost don't realise they're involved until they're involved. So that's amazing to hear the the story. So um, you get involved in politics, you um, uh, work for Jeremy Corbyn and other MPs, you then find yourself a member of Parliament in 2015. Tell me how that came about.
2: Yeah, so I I didn't think I wanted to be an MP. In fact, you know, I was a Teenager, and certainly as a university student, that wasn't on my career plan. Uh, I very much wanted to be a social worker. Um, although when I was much younger, I wanted to be a firefighter for an awful lot of years. and um, so I always had that sense of public service, but um MP was not on my list of, of career options. And certainly I don't think at Parkview School in Barrow of it was ever considered as an option for any of us. Um and so I suppose it was like through getting involved in politics. I kind of met MPs and I met politicians and you suddenly realise that actually MPs are just normal people. Uh, Well, (laughs) normal-ish. And and you realise that actually it's about being a representative of your community isn't it and it's about being an advocate and it's about campaigning and articulating things and and challenging and actually all of these were things that I was sort of doing a little bit of already and obviously the, there was a vacancy for a Labour candidate in the Lancaster and Fleetwood constituency in the 2015 election uh, because it was held by the Conservatives um, so so I put my name forward and um Uh, getting selected as a candidate actually was was relatively easy so certainly my local members have an awful lot of confidence in me. The general election was less easy um, trying to uh, take out a a Conservative MP in a general election where Labour actually went backwards uh, was probably against the odds but I did and um, found myself in Parliament in 2015 um, with every intention and I reread my maiden speech recently and I, I, I don't it's a I don't recognise the person who gave it, but I had no idea what was coming down the track. I'd say politics in Westminster since 2015 has mm. been uh, a bit bonkers, uh, mm. unexpected. There has been so many twists and turns and one of the first twists and turns I walked into was nominating my previous boss, <laughs> Jeremy Corbyn, <laughs> uh, to be leader of the Labour Party with no expectation that he would get on the ballot paper. Um, let her know what subsequently happened Uh, so, so I found that certainly my Westminster journey has been full of so many twists and turns I have no idea what's coming next and that can be a bit disconcerting but as a Christian you have to know that God is in control there is a plan and you might not know what the plan is but you have to trust and know that by trusting and just keeping going sometimes when you've no idea how this story ends it's just the right thing to do and just to live out through your values and there's been some difficult choices Tim in the last sort of six years as an MP and you've faced them as well Uh, there's been some really challenging things you know my constituency voted like the country was a sort of um 52-48 split So, so there'll be strong opinions on the Brexit issues there's been all kinds of challenging decisions around Covid and through all of that you know as a christian mp you've got the fallback that you, you've got your faith and that can give you your values and your grounding and and when it feels overwhelming and you're not quite sure which way to go we, we've got that and i think that is so precious uh, and i wish all my colleagues could could have such a fabulous relationship with god that they they know that god is in control because i think it would give an awful lot of people an awful lot of comfort
0: a mucky business with tim farron you're listening to a mucky business we're talking with cat smith about the life of a politician who's a christian ensuring that uh, as we go through these very difficult times we make wise decisions knowing that god is in control Well, Kat, you talked about, I mean, your last six years, everything's happened under the sun, really. Um, And uh, so so Brexit, all manner of other forms of of chaos, and then a pandemic. The government decides, obviously, that this week, this coming uh, week, that the restrictions will become much more informal and less formal. There's been a lot of fixation upon mask wearing. Do, Do you have a view about what we should be doing going forward?
2: it's probably very much about love your neighbour. Um, wearing a mask is, it protects those around you and um, this isn't about, I don't think, personal rights to, to not wear, a mask. I, I, I will be wearing a mask and I think it's important that we remember that not everyone's had a vaccination, some people can't um, but also not a lot of young people haven't been eligible yet or only had one vaccine and are very vulnerable as well uh, certainly, to the effects of of long COVID, which I think would have fully appreciated. So, so I actually think that it, I know it's frustrating, and I, and as a glasses wearer, I don't enjoy wearing a face covering and a mask. And uh, having spent six and a bit hours on the West Coast Main Line yesterday trying to get into London to come to work because of delays, you know, wearing a mask for six hours, wearing glasses on a train is just it's just it's not very pleasant. I'll be honest, but. I'm sat in a carriage with people who I don't know their health status. I don't know how vulnerable they might be or, or who they live with, who the households are. Mm. Um, and it is, it's socially responsible. And I just think it's polite mm. to, to, to make sure that you're protecting those around you. And it absolutely you know, fits with our Christian values.
0: Now, when it comes to church, obviously, our experience of church has been you know, hugely affected. I know you were telling me that your service is still online. And that's the case for lots of people as well. Many church leaders have shown a sense of um, you know, real concern that the government has been inconsistent over um, the rules of where you can sing, sing at a football match, uh, 60,000 people, but can't sing if there's 50 of you in a reasonably large uh, indoor space in church, um, issues about whether face masks will continue inside church buildings and what have you. What what do you feel about how church leaders have responded, or should now respond to these restrictions?
2: This is such a tricky one because, on on a really deeply personal point of view here, like I I miss church. I miss going in. I, I as a Methodist, I've never been particularly attached to church buildings. I've always believed that you can, you can worship wherever you are, and that I didn't think I was attached to church buildings. What I miss is that fellowship and that being around. They're the members of my church and collective singing is so powerful uh, and there's a reason why they do it on the football terraces as well as mm. in churches like it is a powerful act and it, it can empower and inspire and, and that's why I miss it so much and it's just not the same singing at my laptop screen uh, <laughs> on Zoom uh, on my own um, although my neighbours might hear through the walls so uh, <laughs> I miss it of course I do but in terms of like how the church is is Reacted. I think it's important that we remember that these restrictions were not brought in to oppress us as Christians. It was not a targeted act. It was an act of, of responsibility and certainly at the beginning of the pandemic, I know certainly in my church, and I don't think I'm uh, atypical, that there's an awful lot of members of my church who are probably quite vulnerable and if certainly pre-vaccines, if they'd have contracted coronavirus, it probably would not have ended particularly well. Mm. Um, so the restrictions are easing, and I think that is right. There are inconsistencies in the rules. You're right, Tim. Like uh, I'm a massive football fan. I'm a Christian. And I, I, I can see that inconsistency between being able to sing on the terraces and yet not be able to sing in church. And I can't wait to get back to it. I really, really can't wait.
0: You've missed, it just occurred to me, as a Barrow fan, you have missed
2: I know. the whole
0: of Barrow's first season in the league for decade, And they nearly went back might down. Like <laughs> you might have missed that one year, but luckily they've stayed up and all is well. Um, yes, now I guess obviously there is this concern, and you've hinted at it, that I hear from some quarters that the government is being... Um, at least thoughtless about churches and may even be targeting Christians but um, you you don't think that but that there are inconsistencies and uh, when there are inconsistencies that affect us as Christians how do you think our our attitude to government should be? Yeah
2: I mean I think the government's inconsistency probably is born out of the fact that church attendance is not a major driver of the economy and that seems to be the key uh, to whether or not you get the freedoms. So I can see how the government have, have had a blind spot on it. I disagree. I, I think it should have been more of a priority. I think the spiritual well-being of the nation is incredibly important, as, as, it is, as is the economy. In terms of how we should react as Christians, I think it's just a case of realising that things happen for a reason. And as much as I cannot wait to get back to my church building and to to have all those experiences again, the online experience has actually brought new people into my church it has challenged us in terms of how we conduct worship how, how we include people and although it's been incredibly difficult there have been some really positive changes um I think in many churches where I know um I've got a friend who's recently become, become a vicar and he was saying how he will just continue recording his sermons on a Sunday in his church service on a Sunday. And sending it out to those that actually physically can't get into the church building um, because they're frail or disabled or for other kind of practical reasons. And as someone who is, uh, I, I'm a single parent myself, and um, it can be a bit tricky sometimes to get me and a uh, preschooler out of the door and into a church building on my own on a Sunday morning if he's not cooperating. And you know what, well, actually being able to just like open the laptop and wear your pajamas and worship in your living room in your pyjamas, it's a, it's a very casual church. these days, And, and you realise that there's people who are there and they're baking in their kitchen whilst they're at church service. You can't do that in person. And I think it probably uh, in some ways it's made church more accessible and hopefully has brought more people to Christ um, in that. And I've seen that in my own church. We've had in the last uh, sort of 16 is it sixteen months, we've had coronavirus restrictions about that. Uh, we've had people becoming members of our church in that time and being welcomed in online services. It feels like there's been slightly more of that happening virtually than we ever had physically.
0: Kat, you've given us loads to think about and it's been wonderful to talk to you. We have run to the end of our time, sadly, but we're so grateful to you for your time and for your witness and for your service and for being a a jolly good sport and giving us your time. And uh, it's been a real blessing to spend time with you. We will see you soon. A mucky business with Tim Farron. Well, this is your chance to ask me anything about being a Christian in politics. Could be ethical, could be political. Dare I say it, could even be personal. Well, this week, we've got a question from Kevin.
1: He says, are the culture wars we keep hearing about a secular version of the Catholic-Protestant divide? People on each side have a near religious fervor where those on the opposite side are not just wrong, but inherently bad.
0: Kevin, I think you've put your finger on something really important. Perhaps looking back in history, often the Catholic-Protestant divide wasn't that much about theology and was more about culture and people just hating people who are different uh, from them. I guess we see in the culture wars, as we talk about it now, a group of values that uh, supposedly are on one side, a group of values and identifiers on the other. And if you're on either side, you're detested by by the other. I think Christian should be really careful about that. That's why I think the culture wars are poisonous, because whose wars are they and why are they being operated? And I think it's because they work in the interests of, you know, certain political movements to, if you say a certain thing, if you show a bit of leg, if you blow a little dog whistle on one issue or another, it can make people on your side rally to your flag and offend everybody on the other side um, without wanting to single anybody out. But part of Donald Trump's great appeal wasn't that people particularly liked him, but because he offended people that you don't like, so to speak. And I think, as Christians, we should be more concerned about truth and we should want to see um, reconciliation. And we should be very concerned when we see disagreements becoming desperately, desperately personal. Political divides might be in the past where you belong to one political party or another, but we might generally agree about the nature of Britain, the history of Britain and the future of Britain. And we disagree on tax policy and nationalisation or privatisation. And therefore, we could kind of get along. It'd be like cricket, you know. Um, But now it almost seems that if somebody's on the other side of the culture war to you, they are less human. Um, and they are to be vilified, and that's why Christians should be really, really, really careful and on our guard not to get drawn into it. Well, if you've got a question you'd like me to answer, please write it in an email to farren at premier.org.uk. Well, as we come to the end of this week's podcast, I'd love it if you'd join me in a moment's prayer. Well loving Heavenly Father, we thank you that the hairs of our head are numbered, that not a sparrow falls to earth without you knowing and caring about it, and that means you care about stuff that we might otherwise think is trivial, like football um and we just pray that you bless all of those who feel wounded and saddened by um, England's failure to win the European championship in particular though we care and pray for, um, those who've been at the sharp end of racist abuse following that, um, game. We think of Saka and Rashford and Sancho, uh, pray you comfort them, um, and ease the burden that they feel as those who took part in the penalty shootout and didn't score. We also pray, um, that against the vile racism that's been out there and that you would instill in the heart of every person in this country, uh, a love for our neighbour, a um, an absolute uh, opposition to to racism, and a commitment to stamping it out in all the influence that we may have in our lives. Lord, we also pray um, in these coming days for our country and for everybody in it as we look to unlock. We pray for wisdom for our prime minister and for our new health secretary and for their medical advisors that right choices will be made and that all of us throughout society would make choices which put our neighbor first rather than thinking of ourselves. We just pray for an exit from this sad and difficult time in the pandemic. And we just ask that you would use this, um, this experience to your glory, drawing more people to you in Jesus name we ask all these things amen well next week we'll be joined by Derek Thomas the MP for St Ives in Cornwall and that'll be our last episode before the summer break thank you so much for listening I've been Tim Farron you can listen to the podcast of this program online by searching for a mucky business don't forget if you have any questions you'd like to put to Tim in a future show email farron at premier.org.uk